Okay, I think it's time to start. I've given everyone a fair opportunity to be here on time. It's actually five after. So, um, as usual, I have to give a disclaimer before I teach anything. And uh, so I'm always trying, I'm trying new things. And um, uh, I usually like write out a manuscript, you know, and uh, that, that, so I don't forget anything that I want to say, but I'm trying to wean myself off of that and just do kind of an outline. So that means, though, I mean, I, I, I think I can, I think I can do it, but that means that you are going to have to participate heavily or this might be a shorter lesson um, um, or maybe not or maybe that's a good thing maybe you want it to be shorter um, but but so so I need participation feel free to interrupt me I'll have some questions or or whatever if there's something that you want to know um, so I passed out if you don't have it already um, uh, the 109th question to the Westminster larger catechism so that kind of lets you know what we're talking about today. Um, I thought that this may a good may be a good uh, thing to address um, in this. So I just, like I said, had one lesson to do, and I'm hoping that I can all kind of pack it into to one thing. So um, are you sitting up front for support? Okay. Anyway, so as always, before we get started, though. Um, Let's read from God's Word. So if you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, of course. Exodus chapter 20. So while we're waiting for you to get there, um, again, participation. We'll go ahead and start now. Uh, can anybody name, just in brief, I don't have to do word for word, the Ten Commandments. Something we should all know, I think. But what are they? Let's go in order to No other gods, okay. First one. No images, okay. Lord's name advanced, third one. Remember the Sabbath, so we got four. So the fifth one's honor your father and mother. What about the sixth? I can't hear, I'm sorry. That fan is very loud, okay. Don't, don't, you know, do not murder. Okay, so what about... The seventh commandment. Adultery. Okay. Eighth. Stealing. Ninth. Lying. Tenth. Covenant. Okay. Good. Alright. So, Exodus chapter 20 and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Word of God says this. Then God spoke all these words saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall do your labor and all your work, but on the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O holy triune God, we look forward to this day once a week where we can gather as your people or to be instructed by your word. God, as we have just read, we see the abiding validity of the law that you've given to us. We see that it is a right standard and an unending standard of moral character for our walk as Christians. And Lord, may we take heed to that. Lord, as we've read these first four commandments concerning the first table of the law and what we should do regarding you, God, help us to heed them and to walk in them that we may grow in grace. Oh, Lord God, we know that it is only by the merit of your Son, Christ, that we're able to do this. And in and of themselves, they merit us nothing, but we are only doing what we are commanded to do because we love you in and of your Son. And Lord God, help help it to also instruct us that we are great sinners, that we're able to keep none of these. And Lord, that even on our best days, even, even our very best prayers, even now, are so full and stained of sin, Lord, it is, it is quite enough to condemn us. Lord, help us to remember these things as we're going through it today. Help us as we explore this, these, these implications of, of especially the second commandment that we would realize how great a sinners we are. And Lord, that we ought to watch ourselves as we do worship you. And Lord God, I pray and confess, Lord, that, that, that these things, that, that they, are, they, are, they are too high for us to, to, to understand without, without the sending of your Spirit. Lord, give us that knowledge through your Spirit. Give us that understanding for the edification of your saints as you, as prom- as you have promised. Lord God, help us to reflect on these things. Lord, keep me from error. Keep me from teaching falsehood. And Lord, teach me and teach us, Lord, what you mean when you say in your law these things that you have spoken to us. Lord, may we think about them and contemplate them. May they sink deeply deeply into our ears and to our hearts. In your name, amen. Okay, so as you saw, I, I passed out. I, I know I thought 15 would be enough, but I guess not. Um, didn't expect such a turnout. Um, um, I gave uh, a handout on it's Westminster. Uh, it's the Westminster Larger Catechism, Question One Hundred Nine, dealing with the Second Commandment. Um, so that'll help you kind of give you some idea of what we're talking about today. But before we get started, I, I, I hope that we see like how, first of all, important the commandments are, especially as Reformed Christians. We see that it is the standard. Uh, to which we are to walk and grow in holiness. It is the moral standard by which we know and are commanded to obey God. But specifically here today, um, we'll focus on the second commandment and some specifics about it. Um, 
do do Christian bookstores actually still exist? Like, are they still around? I mean, I don't know if they've closed them all yet, but I don't know if it has anybody been to one lately in any reasonable period of time in the past, within the last like 10 years. Um, well, I say that because when I was when I was a younger Christian, which wasn't that long ago, um, I would, you know, naturally want to visit a Christian bookstore. I mean, you could say any bookstore for that matter. I, I would I would go and visit and, you know, as you're, I'm sure, looking around and seeing that it's probably one of the most dangerous places that you can actually be, um, that, um, that, you know, there's... There's, there, there's all these books that have these... I mean, I mean, for me, when I'm looking at buying a new book, sometimes the initial thing that attracts me to it is that, yeah, I mean, that looks like a nice... Like the artwork or something like that. Like, that, this looks like a cool book that I would want to read. Um, you know, are the artistic impressions on it, you know, is it, is it hardbound? I mean, personally, I like hardbound books as opposed to paperback. Who doesn't, right? But the point is, is that you're... I'm observing all these things, and you know, I'll eventually make my way to sometimes to the children's section. And you're probably going, "Why are you in the children's section looking at books?" Um, well, that's kind of another story, but um, it's not always because I have children. Um, but um, but you'll notice, or at least I noticed, um, and like I said, this could be a Barnes Noble or somewhere else, that um, most of these books have very illustrative paintings images of of one of the persons of the Godhead on it, don't they? Most of the time. A modern evangelical. Would you say just generally? I would. I mean, I, I probably, my wife will testify to this. She's here. I don't know where she went. But, um, she'll testify to this, that um, I have a habit of buying too many books. So I can testify that it is very difficult sometimes when you're reading a book about the doctrine of God or something like that to find one without an image of Christ or the Holy Spirit or God the Father on it. Wouldn't we agree? Yeah, I I think so. So, in that, as you already heard, and kind of as a segue into where we just read the first table of the law, that is, of course, these abiding commandments that were from the fingers of God with matters directly concerning Himself. So that's why we read the first table. Of course, we know... The second table, too, deals with our relationship to our neighbor, which arguably, of course, deals with God as well. But you may have, judging by the story I've just told and the example I just gave, that, of course, I'd like us to focus on the second commandment. And specifically, specifically, as it concerns the making and use of images in religious worship. Now... How do we usually, and, and, and be fair here, be, be honest, how do we usually think of idols and images when we think about that commandment? Because, because the temptation is for me to go, oh, no, I've, I don't have any like carvings of wood or stone or gold and silver in my house. I'm good, right? So what do we, what do we usually think of? Dissipation, I'm telling you. Yeah, almost like the, all those Old Testament examples of like physical objects that are clearly in violation of the second commandment. Okay, anybody else? Well, 
golden calf, you know. Yeah, so, so things like that. Um, so saying that, though, I think before we actually get into the image part, which is what I'd like to mainly focus on, before we get into the image part, we need to understand that the, sixth, the second commandment is, yes, specifically condemning graven images, okay, of any kind as it relates to worship of Yahweh. Okay, that much is, I think, very clear. But broadly speaking, it means much, much more than that. Much more than that. So, what am I referring to here? Uh, and somebody give me a brief synopsis or explain just in their own words what the regulative principle of worship is. I know we've all heard this before, at least once. If you haven't, that's okay. Always the first. But I know... I know a lot of us in here have. Scripture teaches us how to worship. Scripture alone, Scripture alone teaches us how to worship. Okay. I need more definitions. I need like a pool of definitions to draw from. The only worship manner is scripture teaches. Right. Yeah. One more. I'll give my definition too, but I mean, come on, Adam. Come I mean, on. Self defining scripture, scripture that's regulated. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry man. I don't want to know that. Well, no, that's, I mean, that's fine. I asked, so. Um, yeah, basically, I mean, all that's correct. And basically, what the regulative principle would say that comes out of the second commandment would be that. Regarding worship of God, what is explicitly not revealed in Scripture is forbidden. Okay? So, what, so God tells us how he wants us to worship him, very, like, very specifically. Okay? Everybody got that? Lana, what's the regular principle of worship? So, what are some biblical examples of this? Um, you don't have to turn there, but I have a couple of, uh, of, of passages. Uh, the first one I think of is Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. Anybody remember that story? Just off the top of their head before I read it. Well, well, well here, here it is. Uh, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans... And after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. We could probably stop at that verse, I think. However, it is of note, and if you, if you read the, the context of Leviticus after that, it's, it's, it's of note after this incident. Yahweh lays out through Moses in writing the specifics of how he is to be worshipped, doesn't he? He goes right after that into, okay, this is how I want you to worship me. Very, uh, Leviticus is a, a if, if we've all done yearly Bible readings and made it to Leviticus, we know that it's very hard sometimes to get through Leviticus. But there's a lot of good information in there because it teaches us, at the very least, 
that God is very specific on how he wants to be worshipped. So he goes in into meticulous detail on how the Levites are to offer worship for the people, right? So it's not a coincidence that it comes here. Jeremiah 14, not 14, 19, 4 through 5, says this. Because, and Jeremiah is is writing of of, of Judah right before they're going going uh, into exile, into, into Babylon. But he says this, he goes, Because they, Judah, have forsaken me and made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it, Two other gods, the first commandment issue, and that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, second commandment, nor did it ever enter my mind. We're starting to see kind of the correlation here. 1 Kings 12, 28 says further, So the king consulted, we're talking about the time of Jeroboam, the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. I think the most famous example, which um, alluded to just a minute ago, is Exodus 32. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. And actually, if someone, if you'll turn there, turn there in your Bibles. Thank you very much. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. Someone will read that for me. I'd be, I'd be very thankful. Thank you. So in these last two passages we read regarding 1 Kings 12 and Exodus 32, would it be fair to say, or would you think, would, do, you, do you think the Israelites were attempting to worship another god? Were they attempting to worship a foreign god? Judging by what you found, found in the text. I don't think so. No. In fact, what they were doing is trying to worship Yahweh, the one true God, through an image. Do we see that? You see, I I don't think the people, especially in Exodus 32 here, I don't think the people in Aaron actually believed 
that the golden calf was in and of itself the God that delivered them out of Egypt. Okay, I, I would think, I, I just don't think that the text says that. I think especially right after they saw the wonders of God and exiting Egypt, that they believed that that golden calf was their God specifically in and of itself, that that idol. No, but instead they used the image of a creature, and that's important, the image of a creature to render, render worship to Yahweh. And if there's one thing I think to remember, um, if you remember anything I say, um, um, it's worship of creature or creator through creature that tends to be the issue here. If that makes any sense. I'm just kind of abbreviating that. But what does our confession of faith say about this? What's our church's stance on this? You know, you may just be saying so far, that's great, uh, that, that's your opinion. Um, hopefully, hopefully the biblical evidence has convinced you, but here's what our confession of faith in our church confesses. Uh, so if you read uh, the second line of Baptist Confession, chapter 22, uh, paragraph 1, it says this, the light of nature, and this is on religious worship, chapter on religious worship. The light of nature shows that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. Now here's the contrast. But, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will, that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Um, I think that about covers it. I mean, so we are to worship God specifically as he is ordained, right? So... On images. I think this, especially the part on our confession of faith, leads kind of nicely into images specifically. So we get the gist. So the foundation, the purpose of the second commandment is that God is to be worshipped in a specific way revealed in the Holy Scriptures. So we need special revelation. We need the Bible to do that. Right? Okay. That's the foundation. But specifically about images. And it ties into this. And there are several points I'd like to make. Um, especially regarding representations of God or said another way, the persons of the Holy Trinity. Um, and here's something to think about. I think that will greatly help. And I kind of alluded to it a minute ago. That will greatly help and clarify the principle on the for- forbidding of images that will help, I think, if, it hasn't all, if these objections haven't already arised in your minds, then um, I hope to bring them up here in a little bit. Um, but they'll help you, I think, um, answer some of those objections. So, so, and I'm about to get to this. Now, I'm not saying that you might not necessarily, you might not necessarily have any objections here. But a lot of you may know already that uh, I work in a hospital, Right? I work in a Catholic hospital. So Catholics, um, 
you don't know already, um, sort of being facetious here, but um, really like their images, their statues, um, their paintings, uh, their saints. I mean, you can, in the pharmacy alone, I, I, I think at least I'm in the pharmacy, which is like in basically the bomb shelter basement portion of the hospital where no one can find us and we're locked away and forgotten. Um, you would think, well, I can escape, escape some of that there. No, no. There are at least three crucifixes sitting in that pharmacy right now. Yes. Um, it is inescapable. Um, so, you know, if you're walking through the hall of the St. Dominic Hospital, you will find plenty of representations of one or more of the persons of the Trinity or other adoration given to saints and angels or whatever else. Um, in fact, they um, recently melted down, well, it was a couple of years ago, they recently melt, melted down, they asked for donations of people's plaques for like awards they've received over the years. And they melted it down, like these bronze plaques, and melted them down into an image of one of the founding sisters of the hospital. I'm like, I can't help but think in my mind, what a waste. But, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying to like be, be, be ugly about it. I'm just saying like, we should be very cautious because as human beings, we naturally want something that visually represents what we worship. And that's part of the point here. That's part of the point. I think, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, John Calvin said it, you know, the human heart is the factory of idols, right? It is. We, we fashion idols in our minds all the time, and that often spills out into physical images. But anyway, I digress. Um, the principle I was talking about that will help us to, to answer objections like that, though, and to deal with stuff like that, is this. God does not and will not accept worship mediated through any created thing. Okay? So that should help us think. I don't mean, I don't mean is that the person preaching the word of God from the pulpit is because a creature is somehow that's being mediated. No, that's not what I mean. I mean I mean physical objects, images, things made in the mind that give us images of God, if that makes sense. Let me say this in an even stronger way, or perhaps another way. An image made for the sake of religion is a violation of the second commandment and therefore idolatrous and sinful. So think about that. Okay, I, I think that we're guilty of this quite often, more than we think we are. Now before we actually hit some of those objections that I was talking about, I do want to go to Scripture again to further drive the point home. This time, let's explicitly try to think as we read this of what these verses might have to do with images of God. So this time, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. And uh, if someone will read for me verses 10 through 19, 10 through 19, I think that'll capture most of what we want to say.
to verse 19. I know it's a lot. Comments. I've got some time. I can wait. Comments on this. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. What's the basis given for that? For not making idols or images. So we read it. Yeah, you heard a voice. You heard words. But you didn't see any form. You didn't see God. If anything, at the very minimum... I mean, this verse is packed with a lot, but these verses are packed with a lot. But if anything, how can you how can you represent that with an image of what you haven't even seen? Especially the essence of God itself, which is infinite. So what is this then? But an exposition of the second commandment, right? That's what this is an elaboration on it especially as it concerns images. God demands pure worship only as such as, he, as he's commanded in his word, obviously. And what's more, on the basis that, again, as this passage suggests, that the creature or idols can never hope to bridge the gap to creator at all. Okay, like end of story, full stop sort of thing. Um, they can never rightly represent, as I said already, the infinite essence of God which spoke to them on the mountain. Okay. Now, it's question time. This is my favorite part. I have like I have like 15 minutes for this, technically. Any objections yet? Any questions? I mean, should I mean I would think I mean I did, you know, studying these things. I'd, like, what about this? What about that? Anything naturally come up? Just the fact that our lives are full of images and images of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
new thing. Where do you, I kind of know some religious sects, some, religi some religions go as far as they have no, no photos. Mm -hmm. Where, where do you start? I find myself sometimes feeling guilty over the sheer number of like yeah. children's photos, things like that. Yeah, like so, just photos of people, like yeah. Um, so, so if we read the if we read the commandment again, um, we see that it's being in, used in the context of 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 worship, of of especially represent, representing God. So there's an object of worship, which should just be the one true God. That's what the first commandment says. Then, then the second commandment elaborates and says, okay, well, this is how you're supposed to worship me, God. Um, so the forbidding in the second commandment isn't a forbidding um, of of art, of basic things like paintings and a beautiful sunset. I think of Bob Ross or something like that. Um, who doesn't think of Bob Ross? Come on. Um, um, but um, but but those images that would mean to direct our affections toward God. I mean, the Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would I would say uh, that's, that's an A. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to ask, would you say something like that is strictly forbidden because it's an image of Christ or because of some power worship? Uh, that's a good question, and that's part of the, one of the obje objections I was going to ask. What's up? Like I said, it has to do with what's the thing signified by the image. Are you worshiping the object or God? Yeah, I mean, the though the sun the sun signifies looking at a beautiful sunset signifies the handiwork of God, but it doesn't signify God Himself. That's kind of part of the part of the argument. And those are like you could get really, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get to that. Um, so, so the first objection that I wrote down, and all these are good, like like you were saying, exactly the object objections that come into my mind too. Um, you know, it's like, well, yeah, okay, Richard, but the second commandment essentially says 
and many will interpret it this way, um, and I could see how they would, says that uh, as long as one does not worship such an image, right? As long as, as, long as we don't worship it, then we're good. Um, uh, then it's okay to have them, right? Well, if you want to, you can look at Exodus 24 again, 20, ver, uh, chapter 20, verse 4 with me again. Um, and, and this is what it says. And it goes into verse 5 too. It says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth or beneath or under the water. It says to not even make them. Okay? So that's, that's the first thing. Like, so don't even make them. Um, and then in verse 5, it says, you shall not worship them or serve them. Okay? And that's so a lot of people will read these verses together. Like one must go with the other. Um, and I and agreed. They are inextricably tied together. They are. But the point of it is, the point of it is, is that we're not to make, we're not to even make them. Because invariably, as we see, I think we could give countless examples in, in Scripture. Think of, think of the brazen serpent in Numbers. That was, it was eventually worshipped. I mean, that was, that was made not as originally to represent God. It was to heal the people. Um, but the point is, is that and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that, is that our hearts are incapable, are incapable of making something for the likeness of words, or for, like in the likeness of God, without ultimately come, coming to some sort of adoration of it. Even if small. Even if we say that, well, you know, I'm, like I have the, and this is what Roman Catholics will say, well, I'm not worshiping it. Like, we just, we just want to have it as, uh, uh, um, a reminder or something like that. So, and, and my answer to that is simply, well, what are you making it for then? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I get, I get what, I get what the argument is being said, but the commandment is clearly forbidding making them as well, not just worshiping them. Okay, does that make sense? Why see that? Okay. Yeah. As major, just right. Yeah. So, um, I hope that helps, Randy. I hope that helps answer a little bit um, of what you brought up first. And and I quote. I actually have here uh, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, um, answers this uh, or talks about this as well. So I'm I'm not alone. It's not just me. This is not an original thought. Um, this is long, you know historic Reformed theology. Um, uh, question 97 asks this. It says, are images then not to be at all made? Um, the answer is this. God neither can nor may be represented by any means. But as to creatures, though they may be represented, so it's not forbidding artwork in general, um, yet God forbids to make or have any resemblance of them either in order to worship them or to serve God by or through them. Okay. Make sense? Like I said. Okay. All right. So the next objection I had was, well, you know, okay, again, Richard, uh, well, what about Jesus? He was incarnate. He was a man. All right. This is probably the most common objection that I, that I hear. It's like, well, well, Jesus was a man. Like, we're, we're, we're painting him because he was a man. And, you know, that's, that's okay, right? I mean, things changed. Um, I'll give you a hint here as to the answer. Um, our principle that we talked about. And our previous question actually helps answer this. So what was our principle we talked about that 
we can't have a mediatory image to worship God, right? We know in the New Testament, the disciples and others actually fell down at the feet of the physical Jesus and worshipped him, right? Is Jesus present now, bodily? He's not. He's not. Um, so it is impossible, as Mike was saying earlier too, it's like people will make the argument, and, and, and I hear you, but let's talk about a little bit of Christology. Jesus has how many natures? Christology 101. He has two. A human and a divine. Fully, both. Unmixed, unconfused, yet not separated. Um, so the person of Jesus was worshipped while he was here. If we were to, like, say, paint a picture of Christ, are we able to represent the person of Jesus in his divinity and in his humanity? Both of those. It's impossible. Can't capture the essence of God. Again, the point is, is that through a mediatory thing, we can't worship God through. That's idolatry. That's sometimes hard to hear. I know. It's like, man, but there's all these great paintings like Michelangelo and, you know, the Sistine Chapel and things like that. Beautiful. Yeah, as beautiful as they are, you know, it's still what it is. So anyway, well, here's, uh, here's the last objection I want to address. Um, and I'm approaching the end of my time, I think. Um, so I'll have to cut this short. Well, what about, to, what about the use of them to teach our children? Like, what about those who can't read? What about those who, um, you know, uh, are a little younger? Like, aren't those helpful? Aren't they helpful to teach with? What do you guys think? Huh? You think they're a bad thing? Okay. That's straightforward. Yeah. Um, I, I, absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, How do I say that as a softer blow? Huh? How do I say that as a softer blow? Oh, I, I understand. Teach uh. me how to counsel, Richard, please. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, no, I say I ask that because I think that's a that's um, that's a big deal. We ask these questions when we come across these things. That's why I told you the story about you know going into the Christian bookstores and things like that, or any bookstore. Um, um, the best answer to this that I have, have read is, again, in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 98, and it says this. It's like, it's, it's a real sting. It stings me, too. Um, it says, question, but may not images be tolerated in churches as books to the laity? No, is the answer. For we must not pretend to be wiser than God, who will have his people taught not by dumb images, but by the lively preaching of his word. Wow. Um, I'll just end with this. Um, I had some more, but well, I'm glad it went. I'm glad it went uh, a little further than I thought. Anyway, um, um, I'll end with this. I hope the practical implications of this that you gain is that we should be careful, especially when we. This isn't just a like. 
me up here or anybody else, hopefully, shaking my finger at you and telling you that you know that you're sinning. No, I'm, it's supposed to it's supposed to direct us to true worship of God, especially as we come here and we're about to go into service and offer worship to God, and we want that worship to be acceptable to Him as commanded. That's what we ultimately are going for. That's why the second the second commandment is here for us Christians, and that's why it stands. So, bringing it full circle, that's what the that's what the heart of the commandment is about. That's what it's all about. Um, there's lots of New Testament verses I want to go into, but maybe another time. Um, so anyway, um, who would like to pray for us? Go ahead. Oh, and I gave you that handout, that piece of paper to the Westminster Larger Catechism, and I want you to read it because if anything else, if it doesn't cut you to the heart and make you feel like you're super sinful and that, and that we should always remember the grace that God has given us and, and that we worship Him and our worship is acceptable because of Christ, that's what that's for. So just read that. And, um, I, I, hope, I just hope it's encouraging. Like, I hope it makes you depressed. <laughs> it's not to depress you. It's like... I try. That's why they make some markers. Right? That's why God didn't 